Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. School's back, which means time for Edvard Monk scream face emojis for all of us artist educators putting our plans together for the new year. I way overprepared for my classes, as usual, one of the best side effects of my anxiety, but somehow am still crazy busy and honestly exhausted after only one week back in school. I think I've mentioned my struggles with anxiety here and there throughout the podcast, and I've tried to be pretty open about these sort of things, but lately I've been moving away from being quite so personal in these introductions and keeping my sharing more in the context of the conversations with the people I'm talking to within the, I guess we call it the body of the podcast. I've been thinking about this a lot. What's a good balance here on the podcast or really in life or in art? What is the artist's responsibility to be vulnerable outside of the artwork itself, which in my opinion is a more comfortable place for me to be risk-taking and honest? I think what really set off some red flags for me is that I ran across a marketing website that was encouraging people And when I say people, I mean brands, to use vulnerability in order to make themselves more relatable and therefore to sell more product. So ever since I saw that, I've been hyper aware when I uh, see artists or anyone really writing about their personal struggles in their social media post that they may just be fishing for likes Um. This is horribly skeptical, I know. So in the middle of me feeling super cynical about this, I saw an Instagram post by Shaniqua Gay that tapped into some of these ideas, but she seemed to have a more positive take on why vulnerability is important. So I reached out to her specifically with the goal of getting into this topic. Shaniqua is a graduate student at Georgia State, and I met up with her at her on-campus studio. Georgia State for those of you not from around here, is an urban campus with buildings scattered around downtown Atlanta. And I had some issues with street parking and construction, but finally found Shaniqua through a series of pretty funny phone exchanges, like, um, do you see a man with a whistle? I hear a whistle. Do you see a jackhammer? Yeah, it was pretty silly. Clearly, we did eventually find each other, and she led me upstairs into her building. Her studio entrance was on a kind of wide catwalk overlooking some painting and drawing classrooms. Classes had yet to begin when I met up with her on a Monday afternoon and she had just finished moving from her last year's studio into this new space. Check it out. It sounds the same. It's because it's a it's kind of empty in here and it's the echo. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Scott Sylvie told me I should talk to you. You know Scott? I love Scott. I love Scott too. (laughs) He's great. And I love Scott. It's funny because he had given me a couple of people, and you were one of them, that I should talk to. And then um, I had kind of forgotten about his list, and then I saw your Instagram post, and I'm like, who is this? And I think I started following you when he told me about you. Mm-hmm. you know. And then I saw your Instagram post, and I'm like, who is this? This is somebody I, I should talk to. And I'm like, oh, this is the person Scott told me to talk to. Scott was correct. Scott is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just a genuine 
artist, good person, good father, husband, community driven. He's just, he's really amazing. So we're sitting here at Georgia State, and you're in somewhat empty studio. So when did you move? You said you just moved from yeah, next door. Yeah, we just, we just started moving. So I just started moving kind of like the end of last week. Okay. Like moving my stuff over. So um, I'm going to have to paint, and I have to basically get everything done between today and Friday evening because I have um, some reference photos I'll be taking. So I, I have to get everything kind of together so I can get prepared. So yeah. why did you have to move just to Oh, you, no, no, no. So um, third year, yeah, third year MFA is get their own studio. Oh. Yeah, so I um, moved from having a shared space to um, independent studio. Are all the, is the whole MFA program always three years? Is that the standard? Um, it's the standard here, okay. not all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine wasn't three years. That's mm -hmm. why I was asking. I was kind yeah, of surprised. Yeah, um, yeah. Some some people ask, well, how long do you intend <laughs> to to be in? But yes, it's, it's three years for this program, but not for all. So, yeah. are you an Atlanta native? I am. I'm a Georgia native. I'm okay. a I'm a Grady baby. I'm, you know, red clay mud pie eating, <laughs> southern bread. And did you go to undergrad? Here also, um, I went to SCAD Atlanta and finished at SCAD Savannah. And what was your major in um, of studio and paint? Paint, painting. painting. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I looked at a lot of your work online. Um, you kind of thwarted my research by destroying your Instagram account. <laughs> what happened with that? Did you break up with Instagram? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I did not break up with Instagram. <laughs> I took a hiatus, a much-needed hiatus, okay. um, just taking a break from social media. So it wasn't just Instagram. It was Facebook. It was Twitter. I just deactivated everything. Um, one, because I'm getting ready to start back to school and just kind of, um, you know, decompressing everything. And normally when I just... Um, walk away or log out and say I'm not going to come back I'm not going to do that I'll get notifications so then I'll cut off notifications and then I'll be like well what if somebody needs me and what if somebody um, sent me a DM or an inbox or tweeted me or something like that so um, you know uh, trying to have control over the addictive qualities of social media and just getting myself back into the realm of schools getting ready to start back so just cleansing that's all Okay, yeah. so not anything yeah. dramatic. Or no, 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 nothing dramatic. I will. I promise. I'll. I'll. I will probably be back up before the week is out, because people are asking me where I am, right? Because um, social media makes people become stalkers and monitors of your presence. Um, so yeah, all of my friends are like, "It's something wrong." Did we break up? Are we not friends anymore? <laughs> you just disappear from, and I, I think it's, it's okay to, to disappear. Um, I've also just honestly been thinking about um, kind of getting rid of my social media or um, pulling back from uh, social media. While it is a great way for me to have a voice as a creative, um, to be in contact with friends, to see new things that other people are doing, I do recognize the addictive qualities of it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I did away with my Facebook page like three years ago, and I have never regretted it. Really? Not even once. Now, see, that's power. <clears throat> that's power. So a lot of the creatives that I follow and that I admire, a lot of them don't have social media accounts. and so, Or if they do, they have very minimal activity, and they have very minimal followers, but they're doing amazing work. They're traveling. They're, they're showing. And so um, there is a way for me to operate as a creative without that. And so I want to know 
know what that is and what that feels like and what that represents. Um, Titus Kaffar, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Great guy to look up, no social media. Yeah. None, zero. And um, just an amazing creative, doing amazing work, um, well-traveled, well-versed, and showing and exhibiting, and he's able to do that without it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like at, at a point you can get away with that. I still mm-hmm. feel like I need Instagram in order to keep up with the art community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook, not so much. Not so much. Not so much, right? Because it's easing out. So Facebook is becoming the MySpace. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's totally yeah. like that. But you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because of your Instagram post about being vulnerable as an artist. And I feel so conflicted about that. Oh, um, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it because, like, okay. on the surface, I feel like it's a great thing, but I still, you know, it's weird because in the podcast, I say all kinds of stuff and I get really personal, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the podcast is like a long form, it's like you know, divulging your life story in a novel, mm-hmm. your audience is invested mm-hmm. and they're gonna listen to the whole thing, then I feel like they deserve to hear more like right, than like right. a social media post, which is like just a quick thing. Right. You know, it seems like the audience is a little bit more with me mm-hmm. than when I can just like put things on social media. I still feel like maybe the playing field is not really even and that I'm being judged if I am putting myself out there. Like I know it's a great thing for younger women to see people that are, mm-hmm. you know, that like you were talking about, Mm-hmm. Um, with Amy Sherald. Mm-hmm. Is it Sherald? Mm-hmm. Sherald? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to see her talk about her struggles is inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm a professor. I feel like sometimes if I put too much out there, people will start to judge me. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's important to pick and choose where you share your vulnerabilities. But if I'm not mistaken, Amy Sherrill is also a, a professor and, and teaches, um, and so she feels comfortable with sharing that. I think when I personally, if I got personal with my students, then I think they would take advantage of me, right? So if I share vulnerabilities within the classroom, and this is what I've been through and stuff like that, I think they would use that against me. Whereas me sharing on a podcast or me sharing on social media, this has nothing to do with my professional life, my my mm-hmm. my, my back and forth with you in the classroom. So what you hear about me or what you read about me outside of the classroom, that's on you, right? right. So I have, I have nothing to do with that. But our relationship um, outside of the classroom, which is normally none, right? So mm-hmm. one of the critiques that I have from one of my students because I give the um, the uh, start, stop, continue. So it's a, a, a thing I learned from one of the professors here to ask the students, uh, what should I stop doing or start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I continue? And so I give it to them at the beginning, you know, kind of three, four weeks in, then I give it to them in the middle and at the end. And one of the end critiques was like, she's not personal. Mm. But one of my professors said, don't be personal. <laughs> well, that's right, interesting because, because, you know, I so I taught this <laughs> feminist theory class and I read Bell Hooks uh, teaching to transgress. Oh, wow. Um, to kind of I'm like, I'm going to set it up the right way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to read Bell Hooks and like see what mm-hmm. she does. Mm-hmm. And sh- her advice in the book was to go there in the classroom and to be personal and mm-hmm. to share stuff like that with the students. 
I think under the, under the guise of feminist theory, that is yeah. absolutely appropriate. In but I'm class. teaching 2D design foundations yeah, yeah, to yeah. early newcomers. Yeah. Absolutely not appropriate. Yeah, not in that class. <laughs> you, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So in feminist theory, I do get very personal with my students because I consider it part of the feminist uh, way of teaching, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. be kind of more collaborative and to kind of step off the podium right. and let everybody participate. Mm-hmm. Um, in a more equal way but you're right in a beginning class or in a studio class all those studio classes can get way personal right. when you start talking about your right. work right because right. hopefully your work is personal mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so it gets pretty intense that way right but yeah I don't know I was just interested uh, because you said that you didn't trust people that that didn't have that vulnerability you know in that right. post um, and, and after I made that post it was very surprising to see friends or uh, people I follow uh, who actually read that post. They began to share their vulnerabilities. <laughs> they began to share their struggles. <laughs> this is what I went through. This is what. But it's 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 healthy and it's good, right? To me, um, that creatives who are coming up, who are on your same level, even those who are seasoned, they need to know that you know we're all kind of we've all had our issues. Um, and I've had more people than not tell me thank you for sharing that. Thank you for telling me that, right? Because um, as a cre- as creatives, as artists, we either really high or we're low. Very rarely are we mid, mm. you know, midway. I'm right? always striving for that middle ground. That middle ground. We're not. We don't have a middle ground. <laughs> Everything either needs to be awesome and amazing and high and then if it's not that way we just have like these extreme lows and it's okay to share that we need to know that I think you know artists and mental health artists and um, you know uh, collectives um, as a community what we share artists in competition you know just like all of these things that we have towards one another I think it's important to talk about it talk about your struggles and talk about your wins too but I think because in the age of social media everybody shares their wins right (laughs) this is what I'm doing this is what I'm showing whether everything looks grand and great and it puts up an unnecessary facade and the American society is about the facade. Like, we don't talk about, like, the difficulties or the things that we hide behind. High salaries, great cars, amazing homes, but we're right. empty inside. We need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. I'm very interested in that branding and the way that we brand ourselves to kind of be something that we're not or to, like, give us the idea <laughs> of being something that we're not. But, you know, what concerns me, uh, you know, I told you I teach feminist theory, mm-hmm. is I feel like... And this may just be me being one-sided, but I feel like I don't see as many men as I see women divulging these vulnerabilities. And that's why I feel like it's uneven still and why I feel like I might be being judged for it. Because, you Mm -hmm. know, there's always that criticism that women are more emotional, Mm -hmm. even though we know that's not true. Mm -hmm. But I still feel like when I see people telling their struggles... I still feel like it's very much more women than men that I see doing this. I don't know if you but agree. It, but again, so we're talking about a patriarchal mm-hmm. society. We're talking about um, presumed notions of what it means to be masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things, all of you know, those tropes about who we are um, are still being played, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so you have to look at and, and consider those things um, at heart. Men are actually more emotional than women. They just show it differently. They display their emotions differently. They are easily hurt 
they're easily disappointed. And whereas with women, you know, we cry, but these brutes, you know, they push back in, in, a, in a different way. And it doesn't make it bad. It just means this is how um, you express your emotion and it's not bad. Um, I, at this point in time in my life, am not really concerned about um, who says what about me, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you get, you know, I'm a mom. I don't have time to be worried about the tit for tat and the pushback or what people feel about right. me if I share my vulnerabilities because I'm a parent. I have to be concerned about. And did you whole say thing. you have a son? I have Office a son. College? Office college, 18 years old. Wow. At North Carolina Central University. We are so very proud of him. And I'm like reeling. Right, because I'm waiting for the mom, you know, it's just so hard. I'm getting none of that. He was like, I'm having a great time. <laughs> what is he studying? School is great. He doesn't know. He, oh, doesn't. Okay. He, he says computer science right now, but as a, as a parent, that may or may not, that seems kind of skeptical to me, but I said, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. But he, right now he's saying computer science. He's a band guy. He loves music. He's a musician, and he also loves computer animation, so I think those may play play a part in like who he is and developing um but like i said he's a band guy so the band is a form of a cult it's mm -hmm. like the fraternity mm -hmm. people say that it's not but it is so <laughs> he, he is a part of the band cult currently but yes it's very exciting so what about the rest of your family where you're coming from do you have artists in your family that encouraged you to go this path or was this a struggle for you to come out as an artist <laughs> right <laughs> Come out the closet yeah. and creative. Um, no, no, it was not a struggle, but I did um, feel kind of like a other, kind of like an alien for a very long time. You know, I used to ask my parents, where did my artistic capabilities come from? And they would just always say I, they didn't know that nobody in their families were creatives or artists. Then as you grow up and you get older, you recognize, you recognize not only are they lying, they're blithely unaware that they're artists. So my mother uh, is a was a, an amazing seamstress, mm -hmm. and it was just something she stopped doing. She mm -hmm. used to make all of my clothes. I'm like, what about you? Does not recognize that that's <laughs> art. Like it's just it's odd. It's odd. You know, she um, is considered craft or right. you know not real art. Um, my great grandmother, my great auntie, and my you know two of my great great aunts were quilters. They have amazing, beautiful quilts. Um, two of which I own and cherish. You know, just yeah. It's like you, you people are lying. I, you know, well, that's you know that's what I, when I mentioned to you wanting to talk to other people outside mm -hmm. of the the canon of, you know, people with MFAs, mm -hmm. that's really what I was thinking. My grandmother mm -hmm. and my great-grandmother were seamstresses, mm -hmm. and they didn't see that as art, because it wasn't, I guess, painting, and it, you know... Crocheting, yeah. knitting. Um, my great-grandmother taught me how to crochet when I was little. She taught me how to sew when I was little. I'm like, these people have... It's, it's amazing stuff all over her house that says that she was an artist, and so... Um, no, um, but you're also told that that's not real art, too. Or at least that's, that was the language within my family. Like, that's not real art. That's just kind of a hobby. That's just something you do, which is why it never turned on in their, their minds that I got it from them. And that, so I was looking at your pieces. A lot of your pieces that I'm really interested in have fabric or either, mm -hmm. I think, silk screen. Mm -hmm. That is, are those fabric patterns mm -hmm. that you have come up with yourself? Yes. You, you designed the yes, fabric. Yes, I wow. designed the fabric. And, you know, the last exhibition that I did at Sumter County 
gallery in South Carolina. My mother helped me make these clothes and she has not made clothes in 25 years. So like that was in, in you know, like I could get emotional now. It was very sympathetic um, because it was something she quit doing, she stopped doing. And when I asked her, she immediately picked it up like it was yesterday. It was amazing. So was the amazing. this, uh, I was looking at this one piece. I had like this black and white um, toll. Is that what you call that design? Toll. Toll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, when I looked at it, it looks very European. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. it supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's supposed to be um, a familiar pattern, mm-hmm. which it is. It's, it's very familiar. Um, but when you um, kind of get close, you recognize that there are a lot of crazy things kind of going on within that toll. Toll schema. So you've got you know a lot of these kind of animal heads that are like trophy heads Mm -hmm. um, incorporated into your work and this piece that I'm thinking about I think it had both the fabric Mm -hmm. and the trophy heads Mm -hmm. and you know when I look at it I'm wondering um, who your audience is and who you're trying to draw with those items I don't necessarily try to choose or direct anything specifically to any audience because I recognized when I was specifically trying to talk to a certain person and other people who I wasn't talking to connected with it, mm-hmm. I, I, that made me feel like, oh, I need to pull back. Like, I don't need to speak to someone uh, specifically. In particular, I'm speaking to a lot of people. So some people, when they look at my work, they think I'm talking about immigration. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, some people, when they... I'm sorry. You were about yeah. to, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, some people think it, it is speaking to the African-American community. Some people say that I could be talking about uh, a Japanese imprisonment during the war. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm like um, so I try not to say that I'm specifically speaking to anybody in particular. Um, but with the fabric, I feel like that is something that that is across the board only because it's familiar and so um, I try to be seductive and subversive with my work so mm-hmm. I want to pull you in you know to something that you see that's familiar um, but it's also kind of a backhand too once you right <laughs> so that's what I thought it was mm-hmm. because you know we were talking about using branding mm-hmm. um, and kind of trying to pretend like we're something that we're not mm-hmm. that fabric that you used in there to me has a kind of opulence or Mm -hmm. wealth Mm -hmm. uh, specifically like European Mm -hmm. wealth association Mm -hmm. with it to me Mm -hmm. so I feel like the people that maybe are going to be drawn to that Mm -hmm. are people with that background Mm -hmm. that they're going to see it and think you know it's an opulent Mm -hmm. beautiful Mm -hmm. wealthy kind of decorative thing and Mm -hmm. then you start getting into it and looking at these (laughs) these trophy heads Mm -hmm. a little bit deeper and it starts to get a little bit more intense than that and I was wondering if that was your intent because you know I could see kind of roping in an unsuspecting audience that was you know not really thinking about the things that you were thinking about if that was something that interested you to Mm -hmm. kind of bring bring those people in yeah um I want it to be across the board mm-hmm. I want it to be across the board I think the wealthy is a great draw as well um the black figure in the European imaginary by Adrian Childs um speaks about um, um these kind of black figures as collections um of the wealthy mm-hmm. um as as um yeah kind of like um how a a servant or a a, a black more represented opulence, represented your status. Right. Um, and so 
um, that language has not necessarily changed, right? It's just we're in a um, we're in a different day and time, and so I am interested in how the wealthy kind of um, picked and choose the who or the what of what represented status. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I got out of looking at it. And I thought it was <laughs> definitely about maybe colonialism, and mm-hmm. um, you know, when, when I looked at it, and I thought, well, this, it is subversive mm-hmm. um, because of that opulence on the surface, yeah. you know, the visual beauty of it. I think it's important to. So there is no way that I can compile all of uh, these things into my work, but colonization, uh, industrialism, and capitalization kind of have us where we are now, mm-hmm. right? Um, when you think about how our, how, just how our environment <laughs> is torn up, um, that those things are the makeup of where we are now. And so um, how do you talk about colonization in a beautiful way? Right. That's, that's, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you talk about capitalization and wealth and how industrialization you know, kind of led the way to where we are. So, like, um, that's a that's a lot of weighted things to talk about. Not anything that anybody's interested in. in and so, I'm still interested in beauty mm-hmm. and difficulty. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, another thing. So, I, I also read somewhere that you said, you know, people want to think after you get into performance that you're not going to do painting anymore. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm going to this. Uh, Kirsten Mitchell, Kristen Mitchell performance tonight. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. she does painting and performance, mm-hmm. and I know you do that as well. Mm-hmm. How did you get into performance? Like, do you you came from painting and then did performance? Is that what happened? Um, I was for about six or seven years a spoken word poet. Like I used okay. to travel as a spoken word poet for wow. a while. I was a part of a group, and so um, performance isn't anything foreign to me. Mm-hmm. It's just not anything I've thought about collaborating with my body of work. Um, um, but I have been interested in like pulling these figures out into the space and making them real and kind of accessible. And so that's kind of uh, what sparked my interest in, in, in the performance. So this piece that you did for Katherine Johnston, mm-hmm. um, can you tell me a little bit about that? So that was, how long ago was that? Um, the performative piece, I guess that was maybe 2016, top of 2017, somewhere around there. Uh, Catherine Johnston um, it was a 91, 92-year-old woman uh, over um, in the heart of English Avenue District. Um, she was shot and killed by real police officers who planted um, drugs um, in her household and uh, shot, through her, shot up her house maybe about 67 times. But it was a shootout. Right, because mm-hmm. she had her own rifle. <laughs> right, and so um, one of the reasons I'm kind of interested in myth is um, uh, these stories that you hear about that happen in uh, the margins and on the fringes and in the ghettos and in the hoods. It sounds like um, mythology. It doesn't sound real. Um, at no point in time could I ever tell you a story of my great grandmother having a shootout with rogue police officers. My great grandmother lived to be 102 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, at no point in time should an elder die that way. And when did this, when was she 2006. Murdered? 2006. I think mm-hmm. I was in New York then. So mm-hmm. how was it covered in Atlanta? Was there a lot of coverage of it? There was a lot of coverage on it because these police officers were corrupt. So mm-hmm. um, the only reason that this came out is because they made a mistake. They just made a mistake. Um, but they had been kind of terrorizing this area for a while. And so you did this performance at her house. Yeah, and um, on it. so one of the things that kept coming up, um, like her, her home kept being kind of assaulted 
in a way. Um, so that happened at our house. Somebody created a mural um, at our home. It was stolen. Like So just this constant kind of rupturing. Why would somebody steal a mural from that? That's a great question. <laughs> but this constant rupturing and not being able to have peace in this space. And so it just made, made me begin to think about what are ways that I can kind of create my own ritual through dance, through poetry, through song, um, and, and, and show her as powerful uh, create a space of peace just through performance. And how did you get access to that space? Do you have any I connection did, to no, her? No, I have absolutely no connection. <laughs> I just walk my little happy behind over there <laughs> in fear, right? Because it's it's a crime area, right? It's a take off. So her house is boarded up and no one lives there. No now. one lives there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you no, just... so it's a crime scene. No, I just walk my happy self over there and dance. Years and later. That's really yeah. powerful. Yeah. And Scary, watched, but exciting. Yeah. So the video, you can see the video online. It's on YouTube. Is mm-hmm. that correct? That's correct. All right. So I'll, I'll put a link to that so people can watch it because I found it really, really beautiful. And Thank you. so you incorporate dance with that and music. And that makes sense with the, in the context of spoken mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. that you used to do. Mm-hmm. Do you... How do you build up that before? How much of it is spontaneous and how much of it do you plan out? Um, everything that I did there was pretty much spontaneous. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was just, I, I took candles. I, I, you know, I just, it was not a planned out situation at all. I was just like, what can I do? And then how can I, um, you know, look crazy enough for people not to bother me? <laughs> Were you there? You had other people with you. Yeah, I had other people. Yeah, yeah, I had other people with me. But like, I had on a, you know, I have on a mask. (laughs) I look like I'm from some other century. So I look like somebody you probably should just leave alone. But there were um, people in the neighborhood that came up. They approached. They were trying to figure out what we were doing, why we were doing it. Um, so that was great. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. You know, mm-hmm. somebody told me once, if you want people to leave you alone on the subway in New York, you should be the craziest person. Just be the craziest <laughs> person. That's right. That is good. Yes, that's correct. That is correct. Just be the nut. Just be nuttier than everybody yeah. else. And in New York, that's a difficult thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, art school in New York, crazy stuff happens. Yes. Yes, it does. Um ask you something else about I don't know if you want to talk about your brother I saw you make a post about him sure what questions do you have I don't know (laughs) um I would say that my body of work was developed from losing my brother okay um and that'll be a space of vulnerability um when my brother passed away um I did not paint anything for about three or four years um when was that um my brother passed in 2008 March 18th, 2008. Uh, He died in a car accident. Um, He died in a car accident that had a lot of question marks behind it Mm -hmm. um, from um, what was reported to what was actually on the scene um, and a lot of other rupturings that happened after. And so um, my brother and I were very close. It was pretty much just he and I growing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm the oldest, so um, depending on where you fall, the oldest, we always feel like we're responsible for the younger ones. And so um, it was a thing that I had absolutely no control over. Um, whereas I normally, you know, went to my art to get out my emotions and my feelings. I could, I was numb. 
I was numb in like every way possible. I was very destructive, <laughs> very self-destructive um, in, in a lot of ways. I just, I had no good ways of coping. I wish I knew about uh, grief recovery and understood it and went and spoke to someone after he passed, but it took me three or four years in order to do that. And so um, you made no art during that whole time, but no. you were you were very productive before that. Yeah. So it was kind of like a, you had to have that space yeah. And then when you came back into it, you felt like you really needed to speak about him. Um, I needed, it was cathartic. Mm-hmm. It was cathartic. Um, one, um, you know, 2008 is when President Obama was coming into office. Yes. Right? And so um, under, you know, his administration, we had like all of these police officer shootings of African-American males, you know, um, uh, not information that was not, you know, made privy to um, American society, but, you know, getting information of um, the large amount of African-American males that are in the prison population, the gang culture, like all of this stuff. And then, you know, I'm a mom to an African-American male. And so all of those concerns kind of flushed in. And then it's like, I couldn't save my brother. So how do I save other black males through my work? Right. I see. And so, um, that created like this responsibility, this charge, this heroism. I can save the day through my work. Um, but even that body of work took time to, to get to. I actually returned to SCAD um, after my brother had passed away and I returned to SCAD so that I could work, so that I could create. And what were you doing before that for, for work? Sure, um, um, I was a production manager for teacher workshops. I work actually across the street at the United Way building for a company called Creating Pride. Mm-hmm. So I help to produce teacher workshops. Are you still doing that? No. No, okay. <laughs> I thought you said you, I thought you used that in it. And I saw you mm-hmm. also were involved with something else that was teaching related that I follow on the internet. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think, working with, do you work with teenagers? Um, there's another like arts program? Um, I did the residency for the Creatives Project. Okay. Um, I did a two-year residency with them where we um, kind of went and um, worked and helped out with the youth, um, most specifically starting at Drew Charter, um, Drew Charter Academy, is that Drew Charter Academy over in um, the Decatur area. And when was that? Um, Last year, so Last, from okay, so 2016 to 2018. Mm-hmm. So is teaching kind of where you're going? Do you think you're going to continue with teaching? When yeah, I, I absolutely love teaching. I absolutely love teaching. I have um, a, a heart and passion for students, but I, I want to be able to teach and still kind of develop my body of work. A huge amount of my saves are books. Are you reading anything right now? Um, I'm currently reading. Oh Do I have a with me? This great book. Um, some friend of mine, Dr. Gardner. I'm reading several books actually. <laughs> so I just pick and choose them. So I'm reading Paradise by Toni Morrison. Okay. Um, I'm reading this on uh, spiritual striving, transforming an African American woman's life. 
um, academic life. Right. Um, for spirituality. So reading that, uh, Toni Morrison's um, Paradise, um, reading a book on Bob Thompson um, and his body of work. Um, what else? Um, reading old interviews with Carl Walker. Wow. I, I read several books. I'm one of those reads several books all at one time, but I am one that finishes them. <laughs> um, so yeah, I kind of pick up. I do finish them. Me I, too, I pick but I'll, I'll have several. On I'll, have, I'll have several going. So I'll like this. Is, this will be the book for Monday. This will be the one for Tuesday, and kind of keep them in rotation like that. But I do finish them. This mm-hmm. is interesting. So she's talking about spirituality in reference to academia. How does right, that right. crossover? <laughs> well, um, my friend advise the book because I need to be able to talk about my body of work in a way that isn't necessarily academic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so academia has great language and words. We have great art speak. But sometimes you're creating something, you have no idea where it's coming from. You don't know why. And there is an academic language for that, right? So right. spirituality is connected to that. And so I need language for that. I need language for my spirituality. And academic language doesn't necessarily satisfy that for mm-hmm. me. And so my friend told me about this woman. She actually connected me to uh, Cynthia Dillard. She is um, actually teaching in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And she'll be back at the end of this month. So we're going to connect. So. Wait, the author of this book? Yes. Oh, you're yes. going to meet with her? I'm going to meet wow. with her. <laughs> this has gone beyond book club here. You're like, right? how can I? How can I? How can I meet with her? How can I connect with her? So I try to do that. Like, if it's somebody that I'm actually interested in, um, Dr. Kelly, Dr. Keeler, can't remember his first name, but he did this great study on um, imagery of African Americans, like during Italian, mm-hmm. uh, in a, uh, during the Italian period, how you really don't see them, but there are a lot of pictures that actually have them uh, in there and he took some time to speak with me so like if it's if it's something that I'm in love with I do try to like seek out people that do this kind of academic work generally if you reach out to them they they, they want to mm-hmm. talk to you mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they're excited to talk about yeah. this this topic yeah. yeah you know that's really interesting so is she in Ghana now? she's in Ghana and so yeah. she's coming to the U.S. Mm-hmm. soon yeah she and, said I think she'll be oh here at the end of this month or the beginning of next month yeah and so we're all going to kind of get together for tea and oh my talk. gosh that is so exciting so exciting yeah and to have somebody to be able to talk to as you kind of wrap up your third mm-hmm. year in mm-hmm. academia because mm-hmm. that that language of academia that you're talking about it was kind of devastating for me because I didn't you know, nobody, I guess nobody is totally prepared for it, but mm-hmm. it's just not what I expected being an artist was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And I'm like you, what you're saying is, I felt like if I had to tame my work with that language, mm-hmm. that it killed the work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't have anybody give me a great <laughs> book to look at. I just had to spend a good decade stewing after mm-hmm. grad school, like, mm-hmm. till finally I was just like, fuck it, I'm not, I'm not going to... Perform. Do this. Not gonna perform to, because it's something performative about that, right? To, yeah, you know, um, like it's uh, like a club membership. You know, yeah, you have to pass this initiation. Yeah, initiation. Yeah. You have to be able to talk this way, right? But and I, I think there is something kind of antiquated about that thought yeah. process. Um, that there is this level of performance that you have to do. You have to have this language, this art speak when a lot of people are just doing their work, creating their work and doing it at peace and, and pulling from the air. I love that 
um, Scott Silby. He's like, you know, I don't have all the language, but he does. And he speaks about his work in such a genuine and complete way. And I think wholeness and completeness and being authentic supersedes art speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a weird thing because it is kind of, it's like a one-size-fits-all language. Mm -hmm. And artists are, you know, each artist is so different Mm -hmm. in what they're doing that it just doesn't make sense. I don't feel like, why why would you want to cookie-cutter a creative? Well, it's elitism, you know? It's just basically closing doors Mm -hmm. um, and making it more difficult for people to get into that upper echelon of the Mm -hmm. art world. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it, you and I have already done the education, so <laughs> right. we can do that, mm-hmm. art mm-hmm. speak, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you and I'd rather, and I think most people now are, are kind of realizing how ridiculous it is mm-hmm. on, and how it is uh, closing doors mm-hmm. for so many people mm-hmm. um, that are legitimate artists mm-hmm. that should mm-hmm. be able to show their work without having to have this one language yeah so i'm looking for open door language yeah i'm looking for language that um relieves others of being able to interpret what i'm saying because it is elitist i do want um you know the layman to be able to understand what i'm talking about i don't think there's anything wrong with that and when i go outside of these doors i want the commoner as well as the elitist. And I want some generalization, I want some evenness. Because at the end of the day, my work is about humanity. And I think that crosses all boards. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I'm 100% in mm-hmm. agreement with you on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So your work now, we're starting a new semester. Um, are you are you starting a new body of work right now? Are I you am, continuing? I am. Um, so uh, a continuation still of hybridity, um, but more so focused on um, there was something, uh, Dr. Napoleon Wells, um, he is a professor psychologist over at uh, Columbia University or Columbia College in South Carolina. Uh-huh. Uh, there was something he said he was like in charge of facilitating my artists, um, my artist talk when I was in South Carolina. And he said, um, African-American women, black women are the best to tell the, to tell the American story, right? Why? Because we are the ones who are the furthest on these fringes, on these edges. And so um, it made me begin to think about um, why, because his why, um, we observers, you know, uh, the ones who are, you know, kind of at the edges and including our children, right? And so you very rarely hear our stories, you very rarely hear our information, and yet we're the ones in spaces of service. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like it's just his understanding or his sharing of that I was like well how I'm African-American so why am I a best storyteller and why am I a good storyteller and what makes my narrative important and why is my narrative just as American as a white male and how why I, isn't it or why is it why is it okay why is it right mm-hmm. because you know our society tells us that it's not I'm hyphenated right mm-hmm. I'm hyphenated in how I move here mm-hmm. in my space and so if mine is just as American with or without the African American, um, what does that look like and what does that mean? Which is why I'm seeking out um, spirituality because I don't always know where my work comes from. I don't always know where these ideas are coming from, but I do like to move on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So you're doing reading and kind of thinking about big ideas. Do you do sketches at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm doing sketches. Like I said, I'm trying to like clean up my space because I'm taking photos of several um, African-American women on Friday. You're taking photos? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, they're gonna come to my studio. I've told them the attire that they're to wear. So what did you tell, can I, can yeah, you sure, tell sure. us? Sure, sure, no, no. Um, they're gonna wear like all white. Um, I've been, um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna paint this wall. <laughs> So right now it's just a, we're in a blank studio. We're in a blank studio with a space. wall that has a black line around it that looks like somebody had artwork up there right, and they right. they didn't paint the wall. So there's like a big black square on the wall. Yeah, um, so it's yeah. going to be a, a, a lot of chocolate, chocolate women and and all and just white. all white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited. And are I can, these women, women that they're all women that you know? These are all women that I know. Some of them are artists. Some of them are just really good um, old friends. Yeah. And an age range? Uh, oh my goodness, age range is between maybe I would probably say Shanicia and Melissa. Melissa's thirty, so Shanicia maybe twenty seven. So okay. the youngest being twenty seven, the oldest probably being about sixty. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, sure, sure. I'm between the ages of 18 and 75. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I always like to know in terms of like, you know, looking at people. I know age is just a number, but I, I like to see like where people are in their journeys and like, mm -hmm. you know, I know you have a son going off to college. That so should tell you enough. That tells either, me either, either, you know, I'm, I'm far along in life or I had him when I was 10. So, um, yeah, I'm 47, so I'm getting to this, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, people think I. So you thought I'm younger than that? Yeah. People think I'm younger than I am, which is kind of a curse, if you ask me. For a long time, I I liked that, but you know, as I became a professor, I felt like I was getting no respect, and I was short woman, and people think I always think I'm a lot younger than I am, and I just got tired of being treated like a kid all the time. So now I tell people straight up, I'm 47. I'm old enough to be your mother, like. And mm -hmm. maybe a grandmother mm -hmm. at this point, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah. So I, you know, and I feel like in a lot of ways I'm just hitting my stride as an artist. So I'm always curious, especially with other women, because I think especially those of us that have kids. Mm -hmm. I know you said you took a three-year break mm -hmm. from art making. Mm -hmm. I took a seven-year break when my I have two boys, mm -hmm. and from the time the first one was born until. When the second one turned four years old, wow! That's when I was like, okay, I can make art again because it was intense to have. Do you have just the one? Just the one. The two. Yeah. Once I got the second child, I was like, art is not happening for me. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it was just not feasible. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know a lot of parents that I have. I have a lot of friends that are slightly younger than me. My husband's like seven years younger than me. Oh, so right, hot mama. <laughs> What? <laughs> so I have a lot of friends that are his age mm -hmm. that are just now starting their families mm -hmm. and I hear a lot of artists who are like how can you manage to make art and I'm like I didn't 
mm-hmm. about seven years there was nothing mm-hmm. you know and I've like kind of made this comeback mm-hmm. after this long period of making nothing I was so frustrated and mm-hmm. so upset mm-hmm. that when I finally started making art it was like a train wow you know like I had all this, all this built stuff. up mm-hmm. creative energy from mm-hmm. those seven years of being just being a mom mm-hmm. and just doing work but Mm-hmm. So I do, I like to ask people, especially people who have children, mm-hmm. you know, about their age, because I do feel like it kind of, it took a chunk out of the middle of my career mm-hmm. where I would have hoped that I would have been further along than I am now mm-hmm. by my age, you know? Right. Um, I think our society makes us obsessed about our age, mm-hmm. which is why sometimes I do and I don't. Um, share it. Um, some people create hierarchies based upon right. um, our age, or we are told that we're supposed to be at a certain space in life. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I didn't start my art career till much later. So um, I really didn't put my foot into the art world until I was about 25. There's 27. a lot of people who, you know, mm-hmm. even in, when you look back at art history, who did st- did not start until later in life. Mm-hmm. And I've, I do also, I've, I've, it's one of the things that I have been, I think, vulnerable about mm-hmm. is telling people my age because mm-hmm. for a long time I, I know I could pass for much younger mm-hmm. and I would because mm-hmm. I felt like there was discrimination against older artists because you, mm-hmm. you can't be the hot next new thing when mm-hmm. you're not young. Yeah, um, I don't, um, I'm definitely not concerned of being, about being the hot young. <laughs> I have no desire to be the hot young next new thing. I'm not. I'm not looking for that. I've accomplished a lot on mm-hmm. my own without my MFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, I'm a professional artist who just went back to get a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Is how I see it. Um, I've I've done a great deal on my own, so I have no no um, qualms, no ego whatsoever trying to to, to accomplish any of those things. Um, I just I really want to teach. Mm-hmm. I really want to teach and make work and make work and so um, MFA is a way in order to do that one to kind of um, keep some stability for myself while I create work while I sell um, and you know hopefully continue to sell my work mm-hmm. um, but yeah I that's not my desire I think that a lot of creatives create this unnecessary competition with each right. other um, and all of these preconceived notions about what your desires are. There was something I listened to, was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? The gentleman uh, that created Jotform. Do you know what that is? On a what? Jotform. It's like an app. Um, anyway, he, <laughs> he talks about um, goal setting and fear setting. Um, fear setting is actually another gentleman he's pulling from that speaks about that on TED Talks. But he said, don't share your goals. Don't share your goals uh, with people. Don't put it out there about what you're trying to do or what you're trying to accomplish. He said, do fear setting. Um, um, and write down to yourself what you're afraid of, what it takes to accomplish, what's the biggest fear in the world that you would have in order to accomplish that. And I'm sharing all that to say, um, you don't know what my goals are. Mm-hmm. So why are you trying to compete against me? Why are you creating these unnecessary hierarchies? Well, it's, um, in, it's in their head. It's in their head. It's right. Like, but I can't... Right. So I'm crazy enough all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Just like all by myself. I don't... You know, I tell my friend I don't smoke weed. I don't do drugs. I don't do alcohol. Right. Because all by myself, I'm special. I don't need any extra 
anything to go along with that. You know, I'm already, a, you know, considered a duplicitous being because I'm a Gemini or whatever, you know, people do the signs and stuff. <laughs> Just being a creative alone is enough. Right. Um, exercising my personal demons alone is enough. And so I'm not interested in like having this um, unnecessary thought process of being competitive mm -hmm. or throwing out throwing an ego. I have a child I have to take care of. Those right. are my concerns. I have a family that I need to focus on. I have friends that I love that I want to go out with and hang out with and just download with. Creating so you my feel work. that that pressure is there though. Like it's not that I don't. It's not that I don't recognize. You know, mind you, competition is a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing, right? So it kind of pushes you toward the edge of where you should go. It's like, oh, they're doing that. What can I do? What should I be doing? Um, but it's not my motivator, and I'm aware that it is there. You know, um, whether similar to you, people assume have assumed that I'm a certain age, mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of ride that out. Mm -hmm. Right, because I'm I'm very well aware that people think I'm a certain age, but that's almost kind of like how you allow people to think you're stupid, right? It's like a, oh. I'll, I'll I'll allow you to think that because that's to my advantage. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. And, you know, if you you can play that mm -hmm. that card, like okay, if you think that I'm. Mm -hmm. a, a young person mm -hmm. with no experience, mm -hmm. then you just kind of sit back and watch. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't um, know. there, there, there are. I I know when to play it up. I know when to play it down. I know when to let people know as well. Um, and like uh, what you're saying with the age thing, um, with students. Um, making a certain assumption. The respect. Which is the respect thing. Um, but I also try to be as no-nonsense as possible up front. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, because, again, if you have your own kids, it's like, I'm not, I don't yeah. play these games with All you. Right. I, have, I have one of you. Right. You, <laughs> I'm going to play that game with you, you. You've already figured I've been, this out. I've been through this before. Uh, I, I taught element, I taught 6th through 12th grade before I had kids. Mm -hmm. So I was very much aware of the, the shark in the water situation like mm -hmm. if you back you can't back down mm -hmm. um you, I'm like you mm -hmm. I always start the semester with the mm -hmm. come full throttle mm -hmm. with as strict as possible because mm -hmm. you can't get get stricter mm -hmm. you can back down a little bit mm -hmm. as the semester goes but mm -hmm. you can never get more strict as right, a, as the right. semester goes on same thing with mm -hmm. kids I mm -hmm. think yeah you yeah can back off once in a while but you can't start off as a slack parent and then mm -hmm. expect them to re respect, respect you. Respect you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They'll take their run you for the gamut. <laughs> they will run those little jokers, will run you for the gamut, boy. Mm -mm. Oh my goodness. And, and then don't let them be cute. You know. And say, mommy, the oh, mommy. My youngest, he does get away with stuff because he like cuddles me and, you know. Buck up, Vivian. <laughs> Buck up. <laughs> you know, I'm the oldest of three girls, and I, I am sympathetic to my oldest son because I know mm -hmm. the what gets put on the oldest. That's right. Um, and That's what right. the youngest. So you're you're a firstborn too of, of three girls. Yeah. 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 Um, we are. You know, when you're the firstborn, you have a tendency to be sometimes a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. um, those are characteristics of rule follower. Rule follower. <laughs> these are know, the rules. These, these are rules. Everybody else get in line. Right. Right. So right. That's we're weird the, we're as the, an artist. We're though. the captains of the ship. We're the captains of the ship. We tell you what to do. And so when you're the captain of the ship, um, being amongst fellow creatives, that can be 
a little difficult. That that artist that that artist and rule breaker thing is interesting to me because I feel like I spent the first half of my life making sure I knew all the rules and I was following the rules mm-hmm. and doing what I was supposed to be doing and mm-hmm. now I've spent the past decade trying to break every one of those mm-hmm. rules. Like, mm-hmm. do you feel like you do that too? Yeah, um, it's 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 still this undoing. Mm-hmm. So I. I, I told you I was in, I'm in here sweeping up and cleaning up. I had stuff all over the floor. I was like, oh my God, Vivian's coming. She's going to think this place is a mess. And I was like, no, that's performance. Do not perform. Do not be on your best behavior. Yeah, You should see me. my studio right I'm now. I'm just telling it you. It is disgusting. I'm just telling you. I had to talk <laughs> myself down off of the ladder. Right. Right? Because I'm ready to jump. I was like, no, it has to be clean. It needs to be perfect. I'm in here doing the Windex and stuff. Oh, I was no. like, oh, my God, it has a scrape. Oh, where's my scraper? Like, I'm doing, like, 50,000 things trying to make sure it looks perfect. Right? Because it's an artist studio. Is an artist studio supposed to look perfect? No. Um, but I just moved in. You heard me explaining myself. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, everything is not all the way together. What is she going to think? It's not all the way together. And so a lot of that comes from, you know, the performance of being a firstborn and mm-hmm. making sure everything is perfect and making sure everything, I was like, jump off the ladder. <laughs> it's like, it's okay if it's not perfect. Nobody's going to get you. Who's going to get you? I have to answer to no one. Um, but I also grew up in like a, a strict household, structured household. I also grew up in a household full of dysfunction. And so trying to make things look a certain way was important to me mm-hmm. because everything else was erratic and dysfunctional. Yeah. And so making so that also birthed me being a creative. Because when you grow up in a space that isn't safe, um, when I went in my room, my room was my safe space. My right. room was my place that I created. My room was a place where I had control, where mm-hmm. I had order, and finding safety in my artwork and escape in my artwork. So I could go to my room. Being sent to my room was not punishment. That was not punishment for me because being sent to my room mean, meant I could color, I could sing, I could make poetry, I could be safe. Yeah, yeah. That's vulnerable. That's a vulnerable. <laughs> well, thanks mm-hmm. so much for sharing all You're of this welcome. with me today and You're having welcome. me in your studio. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming. That was Shaniqua Gay. Thanks so much, Shaniqua, for sharing your words of wisdom with us on life and art, and all of those intersects. Shaniqua is back on Instagram, and you can find a link to her page, her website, her performance work, and other people and things that we discussed on this episode on the Peachy Keen page of my website at vivianliddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L.com. Thanks so much to all of you guys for listening. If you'd like to be a Peachy Keen cheerleader and provide moral support for the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or a comment on my website. If you're more of a silent financial backer kind of sort, search for Peachy Keen on Patreon.com. For our next episode, I'll be talking to Courtney Sanborn, a Southerner who has flown the coop and is now living and making work in New Hampshire. She's been very busy with shows this year in Maine, Louisiana, and Michigan, and she has an upcoming solo exhibition at Redbud Gallery in Houston, Texas. I look forward to talking with her in this next week, 
In the meantime, hope you're all enjoying the last bit of summer and that your days are peachy keen.